Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. At first it was strange, it was strange because I, I, didn't, um, I didn't obviously want to leave Everton so I was released by Everton and the old scout from Everton, a guy called Barry Poynton had gone to work with Man City about, must have been about Two months, three months before, previously, and he'd been great with it, with all those young players at, at Everton. So obviously there was a change of regime. The new regime came in, kind of didn't fancy us. So I got shifted on. Barry phoned me the same evening. I got released and said, "Look, come up to City." At the time, Everton obviously were Premier League, but City were in the Championship. So, you know, they were on the phone straight away, and I, f- I felt wanted. So I, I used to travel up to Platt Lane on a uh, Tuesday and Thursday, and 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 train there. Um, eventually signed for them um, to take me up to I was 16 but with the, with a load of the travelling and all that I, I, and my confidence had really been dinted from getting released I, I, I wasn't in a great spot I weren't playing great I was playing for City in the academy and then going back and playing for my local Sunday league team unbeknown to them just to get an enjoyment out of football back and it, it was a weird time in terms of it, I kind of was in a little bit of a rut until I was about 17 and a half and then kind of gradually came out of that slump you know kind of going through the all the f- processes of being like a, a 14 year old with spots and kind of being small for my age and kind of filling out slowly but surely and then at 17 I got a non-contract like a year's contract off City they were that unsure about me that they didn't even give me a a YTS so I got a, a year's non-contract kind of struggled through that year at the end of that year they were kind of like oh we don't know where you are um, we're going to give you another six month contract uh, so I just grinded away by the end of that I'd got so I'm like 18 now I'd got um, into the youth team just my age group played Fulham at Main Road and uh, I started on the right to midfield and then like called Barry Hogan uh, who had a pro contract him and Glenn Whelan both pros were sent to mid my age group and uh, a kid called Lee Hughes had got injured so I played left midfield and Barry, Barry Hogan had a stinker really first half we were getting beat and, and Alex Gibson brought him off and put me in one one space and brought another winger on a, a lad who did sign I can't remember Jamie what was his name a kid did sign from like Scunthorpe or Scarborough was meant to be Jamie something he had all these tricks and played for England he was, he was a couple of years younger I can't think of his name City die hard till now and um, that was it I never looked back really you know within six months I'd kind of overtaken old Barry Hogan who was playing for the reserves kind of took his place then I took over Glen Whelan and then kind of Terry Dunfield and I Terry Dunfield was like a staple for the reserves him and Kevin Orlock and I just kind of started putting pressure on them before I knew it was in the reserves with Asa uh, training with them regularly and just just gradually, gradually, gradually started putting 
more and more pressure on the people above me and before I knew it I was you know got me got, got called into the first team squad for the first time put it away uh, Kevin Keegan put me on the bench I didn't even know I was going to be on the bench and then with 20 minutes ago he said you're going on and um, they were getting beat 2-0 when I went round to get my shirts it, it gone so I couldn't go on and then he never put me in another squad for about 4 or 5 months after that next time I go in Mark Vivian Foley had had the flu and he put me he put me in the squad and I didn't I didn't think I'd start and when I get to the ground he named the team and I was starting I was like well, I didn't expect that and then that was it never looked back never came out you know I was going to say you got on the score sheet fairly quickly second game yeah because I played the second game against Spurs at White Hart Lane and uh, scored we beat them down there I actually thought it was quite an easy ground to go to I thought oh, you must win here all the time I didn't realise how difficult it was to get results at White Hart Lane same with Anfield played at Anfield I think we sixth game sixth or seventh game and we beat Liverpool Nicholas and Elka scored two penalties and I thought oh it's easy it's like you've seen football you just come to these stadiums and win so yeah I mean but I, I was ready for that you know I was ready for I'd had all the hardship before and I mean some diff- really really difficult days as a kid um, not wanting to really dwell on it too much but I, w- I was like touch and go whether I was going to make it and then obviously get the opportunity to, to get in the first team and I was like I belong I just knew I belonged there How much did it help having someone like Robbie Fowler also from Liverpool in the in the team? Yeah it was a bit like, like I kind of already I was already in an old and my own um, by the time Robbie came in I mean for me a, a huge um, help was like Brighty Sean Wright Phillips he was the year group above me um, and obviously trained with them quite a bit when I was younger and he'd gone over to the first team really early because Joe Royal had taken him over people forget when I was at City City went from the championship into uh, well it's not the championship yeah but it'd be like Div 1 now and it was the I was seen on the telly actually yesterday that playoff final uh, Tony Poulos' manager at Gillingham and obviously Nicky Weaver's heroics in the shootout and I remember watching that game like hoping that like realistically I was like as a young player I was like I'd prefer if they don't go up because it means I'll get in the first team a bit quicker Um, and I was only 17 at the state at the age you don't you don't understand but you think if they go up you're aware they're going to buy players and obviously they go up that season the next season um is when Wrighty Wrighty comes on the scene like and kind of breaks breaks through and by the end of that year I don't think they did too well that year and then Joe Royal gets the um I, I wasn't full time at City when when they, when Joe Royal gets them promoted. The next year I was going full time at the end of that year and they struggled in the in the champ a little bit. And then Keegan I remember I remember being in a Carrington the day Joe Royal had been sacked. I was like I always found Joe a really nice fella and I was like I didn't really see that coming. And then obviously Kevin Keegan came in and, and that revolution started, you know, championship winning season, phenomenal. Uh, Wrighty was in the first team, they were they were great to watch, great, um, great team. And then obviously get back into the Prem that year and do do really well for a new team promoted. You know, they beat City when uh, City beat United at Main Road when Gary Neville had a bit of a nightmare and the goat scores and I think they beat them 5-1, 4-1, 5-1 was it? So I just remember that, and I remember being a youth team player and doing jobs at the ground at Main Road and all that, getting our kids from Main Road, and then they get promoted to the Prem, and obviously you know it's a, it's a while before like it's a, they have a full season there really before I come in, but but I just remember seeing Wrighty go in and thinking if he can do it because I trained with Wrighty and 
other players. Terry Dunfield, they got his, his debut at the end of that season. I always thought, you know, Terry was technically very gifted, but I didn't ever think he was he was made made to play um, men's football. Just he wasn't the most dominant of characters, and he didn't really like the physicality. And I knew that via the training ground. So when I'd seen him go in and do well, I was like, if he can do well in there, I know I can, I'll thrive in there. So I was just waiting for the opportunity, and lucky enough, um, I got one, and the rest, as they say, is is history. Now you mentioned White Hart Lane before. Um, what did you say to Rob Styles at half time in that that yeah. famous game? Yeah, I don't. I, I still don't know to this day. I, I think it was it was to do with I was warming up with Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler, and they they were winding them up. Rob Styles, they were they were giving them a bit of jip, and I can always remember Rob looking round and. He didn't know he was saying it, and I was the only one who was starting. So the other father was on the bench, and I don't know what I think Mach was on the bench. So in my head, I'm like, he's looked around there and gone, right, I'm going to give it to one of them. And obviously, I'm the only one who was on the pitch. And you know, the foul on Ziga, when I watch it back, it's it's probably a foul, but he books me for it. Ziga sticks it in the top bin, so I'm fuming that he, firstly he's give the foul. It's 50-50, but I can see him giving it. But then the yellow card, because it's like the first tackle I've made. So I'm saying to him, how, how are you booking me? How are you giving me a yellow card for that? Obviously not in as polite a tone as that. And he sent me off, which was bizarre. I mean, I didn't think it was, poss- I didn't think it was possible to send someone off. I, I, even to this day, I didn't say anything uh, like for, at the level for him to send me off. Um, and as I say, I think it went back to the warm-up. I think it went back to us taking the piss out of him in the warm-up. Well, and I weren't, weren't. I was just laughing along. So how how was it for you then watching the second half and and kind of like seeing the lads come back into this game? Well, obviously we're three 0 down. So I gone into the dressing room at half time, and uh, Gaffer's having a goal like in like, um, Keegan it was at the time, and I've just started taking my boots off and like launching them, like just look like obviously not not happy at all. Take my top off and like my shorts and all that. And he's going, whoa, 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 what are you doing? So been sent off he said what I said I've been sent off so he's got no clue I've been sent off he sends Derek Fazakli out to go and check comes back in and says yeah he's been sent off we're getting beat 3 nil as it is so I've gone to get a shower I've come back out and I'm like the game's over we're getting pumped we're getting beat we're down to 10 men we're already 3 nil down I'm like game over here hopefully keep it like under the cricket score you know we've got, got bigger games to come but without the cup you know just winning at Spurs anyway would have been tough, you know. We we should have got the job done in in the home game, really. Um, so I, I remember sitting in the players' line. I'm sure I was with Jamie Redknapp. I'm sure I was talking to Jamie Redknapp. He he'd been left out there squad, uh, or he was injured or whatever. And, I, and I'm chatting to him, and he's like, oh, "Fucking hell, just hope to keep it to three nil." Then watching the game, and by the time I'd sat down, it's three one. I'm like, "All right, come on, like make it make it respectable." Then it's like three two, and I'm like. To get it back to, to get, I'm thinking now. I'm getting fined at three nil. Thinking that's two weeks' wages at least. Three one. I'm like, I'm still getting fined. Three two. I'm like, might only be a week's wages here. Might take the edge off Keegan's draft. Three three. I'm like, mightn't even be a fineness. And then obviously four three. I'm, and I ne- you never find me. It got lost in the pandemonium of the game that I actually never got fined. Um, and they only served a one game ban because it was two yellow cards. So. It's just one of them where you're like, that can only happen to me that. It's like the Aguero goal. It can only happen to me. The game I get sent off in is the most memorable goal in Premier League history. 
and I guess he played countless times on Sky. I've only had, I think, eight, eight send-ins off, and two of them are Sky Classic games, that 4-3 and the Aguero one. Oh, I was, I, I was going to ask about, about that as well, because it, it's, it's like the elephant in the room, we can't avoid it. I mean, it's, what, no um, it. What, what, what happened, in your view? Well, in the Aguero game, um, Tevez punched me in the face. I'd checked Tevez's run, and for no reason, he decided... Because we were 1-1, and they thought, we're fucking this up, which is what they were doing. Um, they should have be, be beaten us, and they froze, the team had froze, the manager had froze... And we could smell it, obviously. We scored, I think Gibral Cissé scores not long after our time. And and I knew City better than anyone, so I knew City fans were going, oh, this is City being City, this could only happen to us. And you could feel that in the stadium, that nervous energy transmitted to the pitch, and the players, they were shot. And I don't know why he'd done this to this day, I don't know why he'd done it, but I, I knew they were, he was going to play a 1-2, and I'd read it way before he'd done it, and I'd got in front of him and checked his run. And he kind of jumps on me back, Tevez. He's never getting to the ball, so I'm just shielding the ball. And as he does it, he just jumps and he kind of like swings his arm across me. So he's tried to punch me. In my eyes, he's tried to punch me. I know what he's done, he knows what he's done. So I'm thinking the ref's seen this. So as I look around, it's clear that no line. I'm looking for the linesman hasn't spotted it. Mike Dean hasn't spotted it. I'm like, you little cunt. And I don't like Tevez anyway. Didn't like him and from playing against him. So I thought... Fuck yeah, you're getting a bit like. So I've, I've, I've the red mist descended. So I'm thinking no one's watching because they've already missed the first one. So I've just waited for them to come behind me and just elbowed them in the face. Obviously he's gone down. I'm no one's seen it, but obviously the linesman has cause seen him gone down. He's flagged and he's he, and then um, Aguero and all, or is running over. And, no, no one's seen it and Aguero runs over to Mike Dean and says he's elbowed him he's elbowed him he's elbowed him so I'm thinking I might get away with the yellow here anyway red card and um, at that point I'm just like right just get one take one of these off with you you know spoke, Bobby Zamora came over and said take one with you so I, at that point I'm like fucking even it up because a draw's a good result for us we stay up on a draw um, and I, I'm, I'm not wanting City to win the league because I'd seen all the trophy parade and all that before we going down I'm like I'd love to piss on their chips here. Like, I'd really, really love to... Because I did, like, the way City were going in terms of, um, like, Nazaris and all that mob who were there, I was just... I, I, did, I didn't want them to win the league. Because um, I, I didn't feel it was... Like, I think they should have had it wrapped up before that. So I thought, if there's an opportunity for us to be the party poopers here... I, I didn't like the way... When we were coming down the tunnel, so we, we were down... If, before the game you said perfect result you stay up City win the league I said great that's ideal I didn't want United to win the league but, but the whole afternoon it was kind of like we were in the way we, we were fighting for our lives for a relegation fight but like there was like all the paraphernalia for winning the league like in our and we were trying to get into the stadium and it was like if this happens and City win the league after it and I'm like this isn't over yet like and I just felt the way they went about it the whole day everything about it was very disrespectful so I remember sitting there and I, my, our team tour was done. You know, all the trophy and all the balloons and everything was as we got off the coach. And I'm like, hey, do you think this is just, we just they're just going to turn up and beat us? Like, this is a great, hey, let, let's watch all these crying their eyes out after the game. All them balloons going back. Someone having to pop all them balloons. So that was our team tour, done. I, I just th- I thought they could have handled it, um, the behind the scenes stuff a lot better um, because they give us every bit of motivation. And barring, I think, 
dodgy goalkeeping from Paddy Kenny. It would have happened, I think, if the keeper comes off his line and punches them them corners. I don't think um, you know he should he should come and take the Jeho one. Is my belief, but the rest is history. Aguero and yeah, I mean Mancini running up and down the touchline shouting "fuck you" to all his players. When I watch Skybach, that's what I see. I'm standing in the tunnel, and all I ever remember was the way Mancini spoke to the players. And I always thought, if you'd have spoke to me like that, as soon as I was done lifting the, the trophy off the pitch, I'd have planted him walking in. Because the way he spoke to the players was outrageous. And if you ever watch Skybach, read Mancini's lips. He's running up and down the t- side of the touchline when they're getting beat 2 1, shouting, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, to all his players. So that's why he lost them the next year. That's why he got the sack. Just bringing it back round to yourself at City, um, what what was the difference in the way that Kevin Keegan and Stuart Pearce worked in in terms of the first two? Um, Keegan was like abundantly enthusiastic. Like I've never met a more enthusiastic man. I mean, he was like he wasn't like the manager. He was like a kid on the training ground. He'd join in. He just wanted to play, and that rubbed off on you. You know, it did. It did really rub off on you. I think where it started to come undone is after a period and when, when when results are going great and you're winning all the games that's great but when results aren't going great people start thinking what's he doing like he's staying out and doing finishing after and I felt that was wrong to do because his way of doing it was his way of doing it and that's what was really good for him um, I think when it came to other stuff in terms of you know um, team structure and tactics I don't think that was ever a strength and I think the issue was after the England job, I think he tried to conform and that was never him. He should have just focused on being really good and, and, and being him. Uh, Pierce, he, he was a decent fella. He was a decent fella, but... He was, he was kind of in at the deep end, wasn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when you take your job, any first job that you take, you're in at the deep end. Um, but he initially done all right. When he came in, there was an initial pick-up and then... It just changed a bit, and also, you know, the club weren't spending money, so his recruitment, you were having to buy the likes of like Samaras and Darbo and Karadi. I mean, you know, when you're recruiting, your recruitment's everything in football. If you're recruiting players, you want, you know, you're selling an Elker and you're getting Karadi in, or you're selling an Elker and getting Samaras in. It's not rocket science. I think your team's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Um, and it was just, this, I think, you know, John Wardle was tough for John because it was. It was going into his own pocket, and I think, you know, it, it was tough times at the football club. You know, we they, they weren't. Um, they had a lot of young players coming through, and that was kind of keeping the walls from the door. I felt we had a lot of good young players coming through. Righty was sold to Chelsea, which I think kind of balanced the books. And you know, it's a it's a shame to see City's academy nowhere near as strong as what it what it was then because it it always got good players through always got uh, players through and that's what I think there's a little bit of a disconnect now and I'd be like to see the, some players start to come back through at City because it's it's always been a club that's been synonymous with lads coming through you know when you think like like to Paul Lake and all those boys who'd, who'd come through Richard Edgels the Jeff Whitley's and, and all that you know there's always been lads coming through City's academy into the first team and you know I know it's it's a different entity now as a football club. It's not the club that I played for. You know, it's it's the same name and same fans, but you know, it's 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 a it's a giant uh, global entity now. So 
it, it'd be nice to see them um, bring some players back for him. How do you reflect on the, the incident with Darbo? It was just something that was kind of bowling in the, in the background. I'd become frustrated in terms of, as I said to you earlier on, I thought the players we signed, thought the players we were signing weren't, you know what, bear in mind, I'm kind of in and around, sniffing around an England squad. I'd, put, I'd been asked in the January to put my faith in the club and they were going to invest. And I was a Evertonian and Everton had come in and offered money for me. Met, met the release clause in my contract and I said, look, you know, if City are going to... Sp- Spend. I want to stay at City. You know, I want to be. I came through the academy here. Evan told me we weren't good enough, etc., etc. And I was told they were going to reinvest in the summer. Um, so I stayed. You know, and I, I, I thought they were going to build, and then the the business they did in that summer was it was awful, really. You know, when I think of who they signed, they were, they they, were, they weren't good at all. So I kind of felt that some something had changed. Um, we go through that season. You know. There's things that were going on in the background. Like I'm trying to get in the England side, and th- them boys had realised they weren't going to get a game, and just started completely tossing it off. So you know, smoking before training and all that kind of thing, and I was like, just slowly simmering and simmering and simmering, and then it just came to a head that day, and you know, um, it, it's regrettable, but but that's what happens on training ground sometimes. So you know, people don't realise how many. How many scraps there is on a on a training ground? It's, it's quite a common occurrence. It's 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 not as random as people think, um, but usually usually it's it's kept in house. But um, obviously, Usman wants to go and take a picture of himself with a plaster on his eye and make everybody aware of it. In terms of, I mean, in terms of yourself as a character, you you're portrayed as quite a controversial character in in the press and that sort of thing. Did you ever? Did you ever struggle under the, the kind of pressure of being a role model? I don't think I'm a role model. Just, just think you're yourself, aren't you? I mean, who gives you that title? No one ever came to me and said, yeah, oh, you're a role model now. Um, just kind of, <laughs> just wanted to play footy. You know, so I don't, know, I don't know who comes up with these terms, but as far as I knew when I signed the contract, not one of them had role model in them. I mean, I understand now as a bit more mature person and player that that is what's attached to you but you know you don't understand that as a young kid as a young kid you, there's that much going on that you're not focused on how you're behaving you know you're just fighting to survive and you know like anything if you're backed into a corner or you feel that you, you, you're fighting for your survival then you know you do things that you can you should kind of self-justify but obviously looking back on them you wish you, you hadn't uh, done it that way but at the time you think that's the right way to behave or the right way to respond um, it's only with, with hindsight that you realise you couldn't do things slightly differently I was going to ask do you have any regrets? No not really no I, I mean if they'd been a bit better behaved and told the party line a bit more I might have got a few more things but, but also you only get one career don't you I don't think you can go through your career with looking over your shoulder I mean if I didn't have my mindset and I didn't have that kind of uh, firebrand personality. I don't think I'd have made it as a player. So, for me to say, if it if it had been a bit more mellow, would they had a, a better career? And you know, maybe. But if I had been that way, I don't think I'd have made it. So, you have to embrace the the light and the dark. Um, and I knew there was a bit of darkness in there, but it was also what got me through. Uh, being a young kid who didn't have. It wasn't at the top of the food chain, certainly when it was come to contracts being given out, and it was the the kind of darkness inside me that got got me through that. 
um, and obviously when I got into the spotlight it was the same darkness that got me in trouble but you can't just turn it off and on you know if, if you if you could it'd be great but at the time I didn't I didn't have the ability to do that um, so I had to embrace it for what it was you were very honest in the uh, statement you made about the uh, the gambling um, issue um, it, what what do you think there's a there's a huge problem with with gambling in football at the moment? I think there's there's certainly an issue. I mean, we're seeing there's an issue in society. There's a huge issue in society. So, you know, I've always believed football mirrors society in, in, in many ways, and you know, there is a huge issue in terms of that. The, the difficulty lies in the exposure. I mean, you know, you bet usually you've got a, a disposable income. Um, and there's, there's lots of young footballers with disposable income, so I can surmise it's, it's a massive part of of that game. I mean, you can't you can't drink, you can't take drugs. Well, you know, you you, you can't womanise, you can't do. You know, there's less and less things for people to do. Um, gambling's one of those things that players can get away with um, relatively safely. You know, you can do it on a mobile phone. You know, you don't stink of ale the next day. You know, you're not going to fail a drug test. So it's one of the few. Vices that the modern day player can get, um, and, and players like people, you know, you get, you know, you've got loads of vices that I don't know about. You know, I've got loads that you probably don't know, but you probably do know about most of mine now. Actually, <laughs> I think that's pretty much all of mine in 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 the public domain. So, so, so that's the world we live in. I mean, when you're a footballer, obviously, you, you know, you're seeing with with footballers at the, this moment. You know, anything you do, your life's part of the public. You know, you can't go out and do what most normal people do and that's part of the problem of being a footballer.